belong to a women's book group that meets once a month. Sometimes we actually talk about the book. <laughs> but we really got, a couple years ago, we just absolutely got stuck in a rut. It seemed to me that all the books we were reading fell into what I call my terrible life and how I survived it. And one day I just said to them, that's it, I'm not going to read any more of these. I'd have enough of that in real life. And you know, even in the short time I've been here, I've seen a number of you dealing really gallantly with hard, difficult situations. And you've found strength to do more than just survive. And it's been a wonderful privilege to watch that and sometimes be part of it. I think there were a lot of folk with those kinds of situations sitting on that Galilean plain that day, listening to Jesus. Luke tells us they came to be healed. And I don't think it was just healing of the body. They were looking for something to get them through whatever it was they were facing. They'd heard there was a new preacher in town, and maybe he knew how to help. Well, for us today, the words with which he starts feel almost familiar. Blessed are the poor. Wait a minute. Where's the poor in spirit that we're used to hearing in Matthew's version? Hasn't Luke left something out? And if we read the Greek, it would be a lot more jarring because poor means no money poor. Blessings fall on those who are just plain hungry, not hungry for righteousness. Weeping to turn to laughter sounds pretty good, but then come the woes. We read those and we're no longer in a comfort zone. You know, those of us, and that's almost everybody in this room, who are economically secure, even well off, with full refrigerators for whom life is good, begin to squirm. We get to that part and the temptation is to simply turn the page. Let's go on to something that's more comfortable. I'm not poor, and I'm not hungry. There have been times in my life when I've wept, and sometimes quite a lot, but not now. Life is good and joyous. Don't I get those blessings? And what about the woes? You know, by the standards of most people in the world, I am rich. Not Jeff Bezos rich and not Bill Gates rich, but I have a lovely home and a reliable car, and a job I love, and a well-stocked refrigerator. I even get to take really nice vacations. I am rich, and I am full, sometimes too full. And yes, I laugh, and I make no apologies for that. So where am I and people like me in these blessings and woes? Are people like us ruled out? Or is there a place in all that where we can find ourselves? If you start at the first chapter of Luke and begin to read, none of this is new. When Mary realizes what kind of baby she's going to have, she bursts into a song that delights in the ideas that the powerful are going to be thrown down and the hungry filled with good things. And when the adult Jesus first opens his mouth to speak, the locals throw him out of town because he proclaims the year of the Jubilee. Now that's something you may not be real familiar with, but it's found in the book of Leviticus. 
It was to be celebrated by returning all the land to its original owners and freeing all the slaves. Not a comfortable proclamation if you had bought up your neighbor's debt and taken his land. Or maybe if you're living on land that belonged to Native Americans. There was a lot of that in first century Palestine. There was no such thing as food stamps, so desperate parents often had to sell their small children into slavery just to be sure they'd survive. This list of blessings and woes is consistent with so much else that we've already heard. And at the very least, we have been warned that God's view of the world is a little different from ours. A bit of what makes me squirm is that this can sound like God is out to get you. You know, sort of that watch out, you miserable person. Yet it is there, and we shouldn't just turn it off or brush it away because it feels uncomfortable. So how do we reconcile this text with our understanding of a God who really loves us and wants the very best for us? Healing is not just there, there, all will be well. Ask any cancer patient how much good that would do them. Chemo, radiation, they often leave you tired and sick. And you sometimes wonder if the cure is going to be worth it. But that is how you get better. You know, Jesus often gives us a dose of medicine that doesn't taste very good but heals the self-centered, live-for-today parts of us, the parts of us that disappoint God. It's telling that this sermon, the first that Luke records, takes place on a level place. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount. This is on a level place. And there's something about the gospel that does sort of level out the the differences between us. You know, if you look at the woes, what are they about? What do they have in common? They're all about folk who think they can make it on their own. Their lives are full and happy. They've provided well for themselves. They have the respect of the community. They think they're immune from the troubles that afflict most folk. Do such folk need God? Well, they usually don't often think so. And that's rather sad. I have a dear friend who died of cancer last year. And one of our mutual friends kept saying, I just don't understand it. She always took good care of herself. She watched her diet. She was active. And yes, she did. And she was a great asset to her church. She was a really wonderful person. But cancer and life is no respecter of persons. It just comes. There's a bumper sticker that I like, but I won't quote it in church. It happens. (laughs) You know, most of us think we have life pretty well figured out. And then something hits us. You go off to church one Palm Sunday, and pretty soon you're carted off in an ambulance to the hospital. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Trouble comes to every one of us. That's just the reality. And if you have only yourself then where are you? If it's God who walks that journey with you, and if you are part of a loving community that 
prays for you and stands by you in the hard times, then the problem becomes very different. Remember again that Jesus preaches this sermon on a level place. Read again those bits that come before this, Mary's song, the announcement in Nazareth, and you know that God's world, in God's world, rich people don't have an edge over poor people. God is far more interested in what kind of person you are than what you have. Both the blessings and the woes end with a warning that this way of living can land you in some rather uncomfortable spots. It certainly did for Jesus and for many of his disciples, both then and now. And shifting our values from those of the world to those of Jesus Christ will sometimes make life difficult. It may feel like we are more on the woe side of the list than on the blessing side. But of course, that's looking at it from the standpoint of the rest of the world. Looked at it from God's side. When we join with God in caring for those who are really poor, when we feed the hungry, when we're willing to weep with and for those who are going through hard times, who are marginalized, disempowered, oppressed, when we risk ourselves to make their lives better, that's when we're blessed. We become God's agents in the healing of the world, of God's world. And if God says, well done, good and faithful servant, who cares what the rest of the world thinks? Amen.